sir, we regret to inform you that a second Alex Polo contract dispute has hit the Verizon slash NTNT data IndyCar series. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Like, you'd think the first dispute was such a long time ago, I accidentally called the IndyCar series the Verizon IndyCar series for a second there. How very me. Welcome to episode 464 of Motorsport 101. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison, and I'm coming to you live from the United States. Yes, I'm here on American soil. I think this is under the first times in a while that all three of us are recording this in the US of A. I have finally embraced the culture. Yeah, um, I've gone all the way with it, so... uh uh, shout out to, to all our American listeners out there. I'm one of you for the weekend. You you, you should be very proud of me. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say where your undisclosed location is. All I'm going to say is you ain't one of us where you are right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I might put in the description after after the fact, like where I record from. It's like, oh, so if, if in case you're curious where this location was from, we'll give you a hint. <laughs> it's somewhere in the state of insert state name here. Um, uh, all I'm going to say is all three of us are on the northeast corridor for the first time somebody's just on the bad part of the northeast corridor how dare you imply such a yes you know <laughs> he's, he's not wrong he's not wrong at all um oh dear but let's go around the horn real quick and uh, you've probably already noticed that uh cam is not here he's uh he's, he's a little bit ill bless him so get well soon big man but we brought in a super sub, the super sub, the return of the king, and uh, I get and I get to roast him for this new member of the thirties club. Oh. <laughs> happy happy be- birthday! Happy oh, birthday, Mister Ryan Eric King. Hello, I'm sir. Meditator, because I must. Yes. Hello. I w- I was called for a substitution. I thought I was getting a seat at Ray Hall. I was mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like now you're here, King. We might as well just suck it up. It can't be any worse than Jack Harvey as a podcast. <laughs> oh dear yeah, but uh yeah this might be the oldest average age for a podcast we've ever had now because we're now all in the 30s club um it's so uh king is still dragging the average down and trying bless his heart but uh um unfortunately me and rj has kind of ruined that for everybody speaking of which hello rj how's it going sir Hello, great to be able to talk with you about the Pet Boys Indie Racing League on this podcast. Uh, I think we're going to have a good time uh, talking about uh, which chassis manufacturer is going to win between the Lara and G-Force. It should be entertaining. Honestly, Oldsmobile clearly ahead in the battle of the V8 naturally aspirated engines. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm sure we'll have plenty of time on this very quiet where no actual IndyCar news happened on this episode. Episode uh, about that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, this is the longest set list we've ever put together for an M101 that wasn't a season review. Well, I just did it because I wanted to put together at a timeline because if you haven't heard, there is another Alex Polo contract dispute that came up this past week. Now, I, I have my hot take that it's not a new dispute. It's just the same res- dispute. Just, you know, remember that time we, we had to red flag Texas for like three months? Think of that, but a contract dispute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when you put it like that, you, you do make a valid point that this is just kind of them kicking the can down the road for the year, and we've kind of hit that crossroads you were kind of always going to hit inevitably anyway. Um, that's one way of looking at it. But yes... 
We are talking about an Alex Polo contract dispute again. So much so that we have kind of forgotten the Gallagher Grand Prix ever happened. And this is our main event topic for the episode. Doesn't happen very often where it's not a race, but here we are. Um, so we'll be talking all about the latest chapter in the Alex Polo contract dispute. Second one, first one, however you want to to describe it um, at home. Uh, feel free. We will also talk about the Gallagher Grand Prix as well because... Um, <clears throat> It's been a while since I've been able to say this, but uh, it's the return of death taxes, Dixon. 19 uh, years in a row. Oh, 19 consecutive seasons with a win. 19. And this was also the race where he broke the record for most consecutive starts. 319 of them in a row, beating Tony Kanaan's record, a man who was nicknamed the Iron Man. Um, <laughs> Let it be said that number nine, Scott Ditson, has reached the unreachable star. Well, unreachable stars for many others, but not for him. No, for, for Dixon, it was very much achievable, and we'll get into the detail on that one. And, of course, his main antagonist for this race. And, wait, why does my note say Graham Rahal was in second place? That can't be right. Um, apparently it is. Um, Graham Rahal, with his first pole position in IndyCar in six years, believe it or not, en route to second place and a race that he thought was in the bag until it wasn't. Um, <laughs> all of a sudden, we'll get into all of that in the next hour and change or so because we've got a lot to get through on this Why one. Why does it but say that Connor Daly is driving the 30 car now? Um, about that. Wow. Uh, well, well, remember that it becomes important later. Now, basically, you can find us before we get into the real action here. We are on Instagram at Motorsport One Hundred One Pod. We're on Twitter at Motorsport Underscore One Hundred One. If you want to follow our handles personally, you can at Dre Underscore WTF One, uh, at RJ O'Connell, and at Ryan Eric King. If you want to follow him for all the latest in pro cycling news and occasionally writing about cars for Jalopnik too. Um, <laughs> If you want to read even more thoughts from yours truly on that, you can also head to our blogs, our blog section on our website, motorsport101.com, where I wrote an emergency piece on the on the morning after the news broke. I, I called it Alex Polo Motorsport's hottest mess. So if you want even more thoughts from, from me on that one, feel free. Um, apparently it's gone down very well. So thanks everyone that's e Instagram me feedback saying there was apparently a good read. So much appreciated. It was very fun to write, even if there was flames coming off my fingers by the time it was over. Um, so shout out to all you guys for that. And if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 for the month of August. August, all early access episodes are just a box. So there's been no better time to support us on Patreon if you haven't already. I'm going to pull up a name here as well because we did get a new Patreon backer in the last 24 hours or so. Shout out to Tom Mortimer, who's just become a Patreon backer. Or shout out to you, Whoa. Tom. Thank you very much for backing us on there. We will give, give shout outs as always. So thanks, thanks to you, Tom, for backing us on there. Much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed the shows. So that'll just about do it from us. Let's get into the nitty gritty of the Alex Polo contract dispute part two. Oh dear. In the words of Professor M from Tuned, it's happened again. Alex Polo has created another colossal contract dispute, all the same, depending on who you ask, King, uh, as he told McLaren team boss Zach Brown this past weekend that he refuses 
to join McLaren for 2024, despite allegedly signing an agreement to do so last year when he was in legal drama with his own boss, Chip Ganassi. Here are some key highlights that we definitely know, and bear with us because this is going to take a little bit of time to explain for those who are new, because as we always say, every podcast is someone's first. Polo and Ganassi settled out of court, and Polo agreed to take his extension at the end of 2022, so long as Polo could test for McLaren's F1 team on occasion. It was a pretty big open secret for most of this year that Polo was joining McLaren for next year. So much so, it was even on an episode of Bus Bros, one that's now shall we say, been dug up again in light of recent news. (laughs) Polo has told Brown since he's not joining the team, including a publicized split with his management, and Polo now looks set to stay with CGR, with Chip actively defending his driver. There's been a couple of key quotes to get into, first and foremost, over the weekend. First up here, Polo's now former management, Monaco Increase Management, has severed all ties with Polo, saying, quote, Monaco Increase Management is bitterly disappointed to learn about Alex Pelot's decision to break an existing agreement with McLaren for 2024 and beyond. Together, we have built a relationship that we thought went beyond any contractual obligation and culminated in winning the 2021 IndyCar crown and tracing a path to F1 opportunities. Life goes on, and we wish Alex all the best for his future achievements. They gave him a future endeavor speech. Oh, yeah. Pure Vinnie Mac right there. Hmm. Also, for the first time publicly via a statement, Chip Ganassi has weighed in on the drama. He never does this. Um, and he said, and I quote, anyone that knows me knows that I don't make a habit of commenting about contract situations. Subsequently, I have been quiet since day one of this story, but now I feel I must respond. I grew up respecting the McLaren team and their success. The new management does not get my same respect. Alex Polo has been a part of our team and under contract since the 2021 season. It is the interference of that contract for McLaren that began this process, and ironically, they are now playing the victim. Simply stated, the position of McLaren IndyCar regarding our driver is inaccurate and wrong. He remains under contract with CGR. Chip, never comes out with a statement like that. And that was scathing. So for those who are new here, RJ beautifully constructed a condensed time of the situation. So RJ, since you wrote, I think it's only fair you pick up the mantle from here. (laughs) And anyone can feel free to jump in on this, but I tried to condense 13 months worth of contract drama into one timeline. It begins on July 12th, 2002, where around 3.30 p.m., Chip Ganassi Racing announces they've taken the option to extend the contract of reigning series champion, now it's below, into 2023. Some time passes. Around 7.12 p.m., Alex Below fires off three tweets to his social media account that he will not stay with Ganassi in 2023. He refutes a series of boilerplate quotes given in his name and expresses desire to leave the organization at the end of the season. Wait five minutes, 7.20 p.m., the press release lands in my inbox, McLaren announces that Pelot will join the team in 2023. Press release confirms he'll join the Testing of Previous Cars program at Formula One, where he is also set to join McLaren Indy driver Pato Award and Andretti's Colton Herta. It does not specify where, where within McLaren he will race, leading to speculation that he may not be joining McLaren Indy, but going straight to the McLaren F1 team. He got that that Phoenix Rosenquest treatment. (laughs) Pause for context. McLaren's trying to buy Daniel Ricciardo out of his F1 contract because second year's not going so good. 
They recently re-signed a award to a new IndyCar deal with the promise of more F1 opportunities and also added Alexander Rossi to the IndyCar team. Rosenquist was also just renewed recently before this after a strong run at the Indianapolis 500, but not specifically within the IndyCar team, leading to speculation that it'll be assigned to the brand new McLaren Formula E team. This is where we're at, and we don't even get to the end of the day before a representative McGinassi responds to requests for comments, stating at around 9.15 p.m., we can confirm that Alex Pillow was under contract with the team through 2023. And then two weeks happened, and then on July 27th, on that morning, Chip Ganassi Racing files a civil lawsuit in Marion County, Indiana, against Pelot and Alpha Racing, which is Pelot's racing entity, LLC, whatever. Um, Pelot is a lad- product of the European single-seater ladder. He also spent time in Japan. And he, even when he was still in Super Formula, so before he gets to IndyCar, he was linked to the world of F1 because he is one of several drivers representative was by Monaco Increase Management, who, as early as 2019, announced tentative plans to form an F1 team with Pelot and Pascal Verline as its drivers. This team never materializes. We have a month of speculation, wonder God, what's going to happen next. And then on September 22, September 2nd, in an entirely unrelated sidebar, 2021 Formula 2 champion Oscar Piastri signs a new deal to become the new McLaren F1 team race driver alongside Lando Norris. Daniel Ricciardo has bought out the final year of his deal. So if Pelot has an F1 opportunity in 2023, it's not immediately going to be with McLaren. Yeah, the funny thing about that is is that this was after its own separate dispute where McLaren and Alpine were in the FIA's contract court to dis- to determine whether the language in Alpine's contract meant that Piastri had to take an Alpine seat after Fernando Alonso's shock departure from the team to join Aston Martin. It's all linked. Sebastian Vettel joining Instagram for me is the biggest domino fall in me moment you could possibly imagine. That was the baby domino, and then now we're at the big dominoes. <laughs> a little bit of time passes. We get to September 11, 2022. Alice Below finishes season by beating everybody's ass at the Grand Prix of Laguna Seca. Chip Ganassi celebrates with his driver in victory lane as usual. It looks a little bit awkward, but it feels like if you hadn't known any of this was going on at the time, you wouldn't have noticed anything was off. Below tells NBC Sports Kevin Lee in victory lane, Things are moving good, so we'll see what we can tell. But yeah, we're going to enjoy the moment now and see what happens in regards to what his plans are for next season. Pelot has finished the year fifth in points with a win, six podiums, and despite speculation that Ganassi could take the driver that he's currently suing out of his number 10 car at any weekend, Pelot starts and finishes the full season, though at Iowa Speedway on July 22nd, he confirms that he can no longer at that time access teams, engineering, and setup data from home. A few days pass, and on September 14th, as I'm thinking, well, that settles it. Maybe they've made up. It's official. Chip Ganassi Racing announces that Pelot will return to the IndyCar team in 2023 after legal mediation on both sides. Concurrently, McLaren Indy confirms Felix Rosenquist is one of its three drivers for 2023, Rosenquist, O'Ward, and Rossi. McLaren also confirms that Pelot will continue with his F1 TPC program into 2023 and make his F1 free practice debut later that year at the U.S. Grand Prix at Circuit of the Americas. 
Some time passes, we get to December 1st, and McLaren confirms Pelot will be a reserve driver for the F1 team in 2023 for all events that do not conflict with his IndyCar commitments. But it is at this point that it is the worst kept secret in the IndyCar paddock, and anybody that's been paying attention, that 2023 will be Pelot's last season with Ganassi, with a three-year contract with McLaren Indy already lined up to start in 2024. So that was part one of the, <laughs> of the Alex Polo contract saga. I hope I've not gone too fast with anything, but that's where I stood before we started this most recent IndyCar season. Should we get into part two? We get into part two. It's 2023, and Alex Pillow is dominating IndyCar. Through 13 races, he has four wins, eight podiums, and his worst finish on the entire year is eighth. While all this is going on, his name is starting to pop up in rumors of Senator Armstrong-like quality linking him to F1. Not with <laughs> McLaren, because they're fine with Norris and Piastri, and we'll get into that, but with minnows like Williams or... AlphaTauri slash Bulls Racing slash Fianza team or whatever we're calling them next year. At the same time, McLaren F1, McLaren Indy is struggling. Their three drivers have combined for seven podiums, but no wins in the same time frame that Pelot has won four races. The F1 team starts miserably slow, undergoes massive technical overhaul, then massively improves by the summer break. And as an aside, Pelot has joined them in FP1 at Miami. It all seems like everything is going as we think it will until the morning of August 11th, the morning of practice for the Gallagher Grand Prix. So before qualifying, racist Marshall Pruitt writes in his latest silly season update that Pelot, against all known logic, that he'll be heading to F1 or heading to McLaren's IndyCar team, is likely to stay in IndyCar with Ganassi, writing, quote, as I understand the situation today, which could make a 180-degree turn tomorrow, he's seriously considering the third option, which is to remain in Ganassi's number 10 Honda. If that's true, it could mean his F1 opportunities have taken a hit, and remaining in IndyCar is the priority. We have practice, we have qualifying, we have final practice, and then it's 6.28 p.m. Eastern Time. After final practice, Associated Press reporter slash instigator Jenna Fryer writes <laughs> that Alex Pillow has reneged on his three-year deal with McLaren and will not join the team after this season. Despite all of Zach Brown's efforts, McLaren CEO Zach Brown gave him a $10 million advance on his 2024 salary. Good God. <laughs> oh. This Jesus is, H Christ! This is the uh, this is the part where you talk about Uncle Phil at the pool at the pool table. Yeah, yeah, out, out hustling the hustler, etc. So, uh, so McLaren's gonna get that ten mil back, right? <clears throat> we'll we'll get into that. Uh, sure, sure thing, as, as we're all losing our mind collectively in whatever spaces we're talking about, this be it motorsport discords or Marshall Pruitt's Twitter space. Uh, some time passes, everybody gets more details. Uh, around 10.30 that night, Indianapolis star writer Nathan Brown confirms that Polo is no longer being represented by Monaco Increase Management as of August 9th, that Wednesday. MIM releases the above statement that following morning at 2.35 a.m., expressing bitter disappointment to break the agreement negotiated by them with McLaren. Below is now managed once more by former IndyCar driver Yasuk Roger Yasukawa, who originally brokered his move from Japan and Super Formula to America. 
It also surfaces in publicized court documents that Below has an exclusivity clause in his contract with Ganassi that does not lapse until September 1st of this year. There are also reports of a July 1st contract clause that said if Pelot doesn't have an F1 opportunity already in place, he can break the deal. I don't know where that stands, but we do know the September 1st clause is good. And then August 12th, 12.35 p.m., two hours before the drop of the green flag, is when we get Chip Ganassi releasing his statement slash pipe bomb directed towards Zach Brown. This is the one where he refutes McLaren playing the victim over the contract saga, accusing them of interference. And that is my best attempt to condense the entire Alex Below contract saga into a brief 10-minute timeline. And this is a lot to take in. I'm clapping like Shia LaBeouf in the meme of him in the cinema. Um, I, I just put it brief in the set list notes here as a behind the scenes. I said, gentlemen... What the fuck is going on here? Um, <laughs> where do we even start with this? Like, just obviously, just besides just settling in the pipe bomb that has been the last five days of this dispute that, you know, has just seemingly gone on forever. Polo has just seemingly gone back on his word again. <laughs> and, and, this weird idea, because we've talked about this all through the year, hmm. and we've questioned why Polo would want to walk away from such an incredibly strong team. Um, you know, a, a winning combination in the middle of his incredible run of dominance. He's putting together one of the greatest IndyCar seasons ever seen. Um, we were sitting here going, well, why would you want to walk away from something like this, even for a middle-of-the-road, lower-end F1 seat? Like, surely you must love winning to keep to keep doing this, because McLaren have not yet proven that they are a consistent winner in IndyCar yet. And I think, at some point or another, he's probably had the same thoughts himself, because look at where, where we're at now. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. We we talked about it. Like I've I've been of the opinion that like McLaren Indy has the resources to be as good as as Ganassi or Penske, but has yet to apply them in the same way that those two teams can. Um, and that's really the big difference. You see it this year. Polo has been outstanding uh, in his current surroundings, and it's not like Scott Nitson and Marcus Erickson have been terrible by any stretch. And we, there's this whole other sidebar going on that like. Marcus Erickson may leave Ganassi, and could you imagine what Chip would be thinking if he had to replace two outstanding drivers, a recent series champion, soon to be two-time champion, and a recent Indy 500 winner in one year? Because as great as Scott Ditson is, no driver can race forever. No driver can race forever, and... I, I've made my thoughts on him very clear at the moment. He is, for me, the second coming of Dario Franchitti in that number 10. He can win anything on paper. And, you know, he's dominated this season. And this is a very strong IndyCar field. I've, I said in my, in my Gallagher Grand Prix review that the top 10 in IndyCar can now all win a race on pace alone. Like, Carl Kirkwood in his first season in a car that's actually capable 
has won two races. Like that's how good Carl Kirkwood is. King was smiling like a proud father back there when 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 uh, <laughs> last week in Nashville. Um, you know, and <sighs> I, I I I don't get like is at best to me this feels like Alex Polo has been hopelessly naive about contracts, about commitments, about what, where he can go, what he can do. At best. And I'm being very generous when I say hopelessly naive. I mean, King, you look at these things a little closer than the average person does. What have you made of it all? <laughs> Your initial uh, thoughts. If I had to sum it up with one sentence, it would be, dude's lucky he's fast. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> We've seen IndyCar careers end over less petty shit than this. Like, look at Oliver Askew for a prime example. <laughs> like, after he got booted out of McLaren, he was never seen again. He's now more known as a Formula E pundit than he is a race car driver these days. And, like, it doesn't... Like, if you burn a bridge in IndyCar, you might you could be done easily. We've seen it with our own eyes, how, how easy it can be for, to get the trap the trap door released out from underneath you and like connor daly um connor daly had a messy bust up between his uh, former employers at ed carpenter racing when he was virtually guaranteed to be ed carpenter's new adopted son at some point or another but hmm. then that all fell through i can think of stuff like the ugly ugly blackballing that Brian Hunter Ray experience in 2005 that made him jumps that made him have to jump sides across the split because nobody in Champ Car would give him a ride because Paul Genalozzi who completely fired and gave him terrible equipment basically told him never to come back and that ended up in a lawsuit 20 years down the road it's crazy Alice Pillow though Alice Pillow at this stage is a whole different animal and <laughs> well let's put it to you this way the only reason they're fighting is hard because they're both both sides know how fucking good this dude is. Like, mm-hmm. like Chip has been backed into a corner because he's been their best driver for two of the last three years since he joined that team. Dixon was marginally better in 2022, and that's partly because Chip fucking froze him out towards the end of that season when the contract is out of all the data. He still finished top five in the standings and put boots to asses in the last race of the season. Yeah, he won that Laguna Seca race by, by 30 seconds in Monterey. He absolutely mollywopped the field. Um, you don't win races by 30 seconds in IndyCar. That's virtually um, impossible. No. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 and yet here he is. I mean, Chip's like, let's put it to you this way. Alex Pillow is the biggest responsible and accountable party for all of this. And when Chip released his statement, Pillow was not criticized one iota for it. Alex Pillow has bet. We talk about people betting on themselves. Alex Pillow has bet the mortgage, the house, the car, everything he owns on himself and without even looking at the odds. And he is looking like he still wins either way. That's crazy. But the thing was, dude didn't place a bet on himself he hedged his bets right that's the whole thing like he was like well you know that he's not paying me very well chip's not gonna give me a big money extension maybe daddy zach brown will give me an f1 seat because i'm that good and 
And I know we all have various feelings about McLaren CEO Zach Brown. He's a hustler. <laughs> He's he he is you know like a king will know what I'm talking about here. We have a term for people like that in in football. We call it tapping up. And like it's like the biggest rule that never gets enforced in Premier League football anymore because tapping up happens all the fucking time now and it's so vague in the book that no one ever gets done for it now. But Zach knows exactly what he's doing. He's had handshake agreements, deals done on the back of napkins with a range of parties. You know, he's done this numerous times before. I mean, he was doing this with Marcus Ericsson earlier this year. He was like, I can't believe Marcus Ericsson's not been signed up to a long-term extension. We'll throw seven figures at him to sign him for next year, openly in public. Zach knows exactly what buttons to push, and then he acts all sheepish and surprised when, again, the trap door falls out from underneath him and below out-hustles the hustler. Yeah, uh, that, that's that- that's the thing that kind of makes me not feel bad for McLaren, because no. <laughs> during this era, they've burned so many people. Like, only in IndyCar, they've burned so many people. You don't have to look to F1 or the other championships they're in at the moment. But from the whole, uh, from the debacle with, with uh, James Hinchcliffe when they, when they were buying into Smith-Peterson all the way up to now, it's a situation where they've done this and they've always given themselves an out should they want to get out. But now they're on the other side of the fence getting burned. Yeah, and I've used that analogy. It's Uncle Phil at the pool table during the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air when Will gets hustled out of a bunch of his money and then Uncle Phil pretends he's shit at pool and then wins all that money back to teach the boys a lesson. It's it's a great episode and it's a great analogy because that's what Zach Brown has been doing for years. Like, he... he, he he, he he he's very much like Todd Boyley for Chelsea right now, who owns that club from the Dodgers. It's all very very handshake agreement, back of napkin logic that, and trying to use strong arm tactics using his brand to tie down drivers. And yeah, I don't like look to to follow on from King's point. I don't think anybody comes out of this story smelling of roses. Personally, like McLaren. If McLaren got their pants pulled down by Paul Oten, to be fair, I think it's been coming that McLaren gets embarrassed in one of these stories because yeah. it's but, but crazy they- how many of the how, many, how much like this this like crazy uh, like antagonizing tactics, as your colleague Scott Mitchell Mom put it. Some of it's worked. You, you yeah. don't. We don't have to like the the means, but the ends. I mean, oh no, Oscar Piastri's been great for them. Absolutely. Look, do, do not get me wrong. Like, I still think it's funny that he had to pay Daniel Ricciardo 20 million quid not to come to work. Somebody was arguing in my mentions that, oh, it's not dead money. No, 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 no. It is dead money. You're paying someone not to come to work. I know you've got to pay the dude one way or another, but now you're writing them a check in cash for the full amount straight away, and you're getting zero in return for it. And it's, like, not only, it's not only are they paying him not to come to work, they're not paying him to stay home. He's working for someone else right now. Right. Like it's 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 li- like you are literally it's dead money and he's using his resources now for another team because he's back in F1 with AlphaTauri now. And 
Like, yeah, it absolutely, don't get me wrong, it was the right decision for McLaren because Oscar Piastri has been excellent in his rookie season at McLaren so yeah. far. No no one's disputing that. Yeah, but, yeah. When, back in 2020 when we were wondering, like, gosh, they've they fucking cut off Hinchcliffe, they've cut Ericsson, is Paddle Ward really right? Paddle Ward has been excellent. Paddle Ward is not the problem at McLaren Indy. The reason that, why they've underachieved. Yeah, but that's but they, he also he's also whispered a lot in Pato Awards ear about an F one seat, and it's never materialized. There's not even too. close. Like, don't get me wrong. I remember 2022 where Jenna Fryer wrote a lengthy piece about McLaren's future in IndyCar, and Pato openly said he was on the brink of leaving that team and wanting a bigger one because of him thinking that he couldn't win a title with McLaren. Next thing you know, a barber, he signs a three-year extension. Now, how on earth does someone swing around on that sort of logic so fucking quickly? Cha-ching! Either he was was paid a boatload of money, he was was promised F1 priority gigs, or both. There is no ifs or buts about it, because I don't see how someone has one foot out of the door and then suddenly hoists that foot back in the car again so fast. Like, this... Like, Zach Brown is ruthless to a T, and he gives you that marketing bullshit. That what, that's what marketing people do. And I don't want to start playing that stereotype card too hard, but he's that's what marketers do. That's the whole point. The, the whole point is that they're trying to rumble people. That's the whole idea. And look, Chip Ganassi's not blameless in this either. You don't make up fake quotes about a guy in a press release. That's always asking for trouble. And pay your man. Like, he won you an IndyCar title in 2021. He was three car lengths away that same year from doing the double and winning the Aston, winning the Borg Warner as well, on top of that as well. He only lost out to Helio by a nose or two. Um, he, was, he was this close to the first double since Dario in 2012. Like, and he was doing it for peanuts. Like, Polo had every right to go to Chip and say, hey, you want to get me a bonus? Yeah, first and year... Is, the thing is, it's... it's before Pelot was even in the series, it was something that I've spoken about on this podcast where it, I think it's genuinely bad practice that uh, it is IndyCar practice. It's an unwritten rule that they don't release salary or contract numbers. Mm-hmm. They, they never have. And it's all just like under the table numbers and handshake deals and how these things all get worked out. In Formula One, the numbers leak. We yeah. get the numbers of that all the time, and it's, it's not a, it's not public via the teams, but the journos find out one way or another. They tell them the numbers, and we, then we all go from there. Yeah, because in, in F one, there's only one dude we don't know the details of their contract. <laughs> exactly, and IndyCar, it's all under the table. You know, we all get rumblings here and there, but we never hear the numbers, and that's annoying. And from all accounts and what I've been told, Polo was massively underpaid his first year. He was at Chip Ganassi Racing when he won the title and nearly won the Indy 500 on top of that. And if Chip just gives him a boatload extension at the end of 2021, he probably avoids all this drama. Hey, how many similar situations do we see like in the NFL or the NBA where, where an athlete is massive, feels like they're massively underpaid and they're going to agitate until either they get traded to another team or they get cut. Every running back in the last <laughs> 10 years. Yeah, and, and like 
you know, not not to lean too much into uh, labor discussions, but you know, in in all the other sports leagues, they have unions and they have mechanisms to to do this. Where where in the NFL, players could just simply hold out and just choose not to play if they feel like their terms aren't good enough. Uh, Major League Baseball has arbitration. Uh, pretty much in racing, it's just like get over it. Yeah. If Polo had a franchise tag, he wouldn't be complaining right about now because at least he'd be getting paid top money. That, that's a yeah. guarantee. That's the whole point of the franchise tag. Uh, the It's not ideal for a lot of guys who want big long-term money, but the compensation is at least you're going to be paid like a top-end play, top player in your position for at least that year, maybe two, depending on how the team operates that franchise tag. Um, and Chip fucked around. He didn't want to pay Polo. He's, he's in the middle of a dispute with Marcus Erickson about this right now, and Pruitt's been reporting for weeks, if not months, that Marcus Erickson doesn't want to be a pay driver anymore. He Husky Chocolate doesn't want to keep feeding money into a seat when Marcus is now good enough to be a top contender in the series. Dude, now. what he's an good. Indianapolis 500. Yeah, he should have won two. <laughs> he's, good in, he's good enough to be paid for his services. Anything you, anything you have been taught about Marcus Erickson during his five very bad years in Formula One does not apply to Marcus Erickson in IndyCar. No. He is a elite IndyCar driver. He's been top six in the championship I'd say for three very years good. now. I wouldn't quite say elite, but he has been very, very good. Absolutely been, good yeah. enough to pay. He's been borderline elite for three years now. Like, like he, if, if, if Ganassi were to lose two drivers in the same season, I mean, they only have one Ar- Marcus Armstrong to plug them with. And as as much Cayman Island money as Kiffin Simpson got, and I like Kiffin Simpson, I've talked to him, he's not ready yet. This is the problem with Chip as a team owner. I think Chip is now living in a world of arrogance where he thinks anyone can win in his cars. I've made this point before. Marcus Armstrong is the worst thing that could have happened to Ericsson this season because Armstrong's walked into that car as a rookie and been top 10 level quality pretty much all year long. It's probably got him sat there thinking, do I need Marcus Ericsson now? Oh, man. Uh, and that's the problem, which is a bit, because I've said it before, and the King made this point. Ericsson, I think, is a very underrated oval guy. He won a 500. He's generally top 10 on ovals as well as road and streets. Like, Ericsson is a very good three-tool driver. Maybe not elite in any category, but he's good enough where it's rare he's out of the top 10. Like, and that's the problem. Marcus Armstrong has been pretty close to him on road and street tracks most of the year, and Armstrong's openly said he's prepared to go full-time next year and take on the ovals too. So we talked about how McLaren comes off bad in this. We talked about how Ganassi comes off bad in this. What about Pelot? And, and can I just say, chime in, by the way, because like sure. a lot of people had pointed the finger toward Monaco increased management, and, and can I just say that like they, they look awful on this. They they look like they look like such goodness if they didn't have so many quiet clients they they look like you know a a proper scam of motor racing uh, it, it really comes off of like monaco increased management really comes off like they had a plan for alex Pelot that completely ignored the wishes well from the outside i don't know what what Pelot actually wants out of 
you know, all of this. But it feels like what they had in mind for Pelot's career was completely different than what Alex Pelot had in mind. It is nowhere near as like fucked up as the Michael Ower situation, the story, oh, yeah. the, the young man that was involved in the uh, the Blindside story, which we now know is not the heartwarming story that it was advertised as, but it's it's not too dissimilar. Like it, it comes least- off that he makes a move to Ganassi. He signs up with them. They has that great year. It seems like both sides, both uh, Monaco and Polo, had F1 aspirations. Uh, at some point, Polo had a change of heart. Again, this is just assumptions. And Monaco increased management set on Formula One because, again, they get a cut of whatever Polo makes and he would make a lot more in Formula One. <laughs> And they've had ambitions of starting up their own team, even though they've never shown like any sort of the resources, let's say like an Entretti or a high tech have. Nowhere near. And I think Polo has to take some degree of burden of of accountability on this as well, to a degree. But his management has made him look like a complete clown over the last year. And it's, and the, the, I need to point out and I'm, I, and, I've, I spoke to my colleague who covers IndyCar, Jack Benyon, over at the race about this, and I wanted to deep dive and ask ask him straight up, like, dude, how is Alex Polo as a person to interview? And he was glowing in talking about Alex Polo. He said, one of the nicest dudes you'll ever interview. He takes the time to properly process answers, um, even though English is his second language. It's easy to forget because he speaks perfectly. Um, he gives you the time of day he asks how you're doing he genuinely gives a shit about people i have never heard a bad word said about alex polo as a person outside of contract disputes like he is one of the most universally liked people in indycast paddock in a paddock which is generally full of good people like it's not very many people we criticize for character issues in the indycar paddock rarely it doesn't happen often and Polo was spoken about glowingly. And I mentioned it in my piece as well, because obviously Zoe, our beloved uh, chat member, former guest, et cetera, et cetera, has also met him and said the same thing, essentially. So I can back this up. I, I remember uh, in a sit-in during his FP1 debut at Coda. It was so nice, so pleasant to talk with. You know, he's, he's everything that you would want. If you if you were the parent of a young, aspiring racing driver, you would want your child to be like Alex Blow in the way that you carry yourself now, off the racetrack. I don't want to sound like a devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. But, Feel free. No, nah, he's a great dude. You had us going for a second but, there. <laughs> but you just, you just wonder, God... How on earth did he get himself into this mess? Because he got himself into this mess. Because I was going to say, like, where does, like, this is is what we're never going to know for sure. Where does Pelot's personal accountability stop and where does MIM start? And we'll never, we'll, we'll probably never know where that scale is, but it's made him look like a goon in the eyes of many people. And understandably so, because he's going to end up pissing off two parties against the middle. Being, being blunt about it, any agent, they represent their athlete or, or whoever they're representing. 
and they serve at the athlete's pleasure. Pelo signed up for this. Yeah. Again, it's like I said earlier, is it hopeless naivety at best, or is it something more sinister? I don't know, because in whatever it is, it's backfired and it's blown up in his face again, and it's let himself get roasted all over the internet and criticized by journalists, and quite rightly so, because... Like, and don't get me wrong, as funny as it is to see Zach Brown get his pants pulled down, like, Polo is the reason he's in this mess, ultimately. Yeah. He signed the dotted line. He was he was told by his management firm what to do. And again, again, that is a that relationship with his agency is a two-way street at the end of the day. And when, why have they now cut all ties as well as, as this past Wednesday? Allegedly, according to MIM, Polo wasn't answering his calls. So, like, again, it's all just such a mess. And, like, it's going to sour a lot of people's perspective on Polo, who deserves, you know, who, again, is otherwise universally liked. Yep. It's, 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 it's made him look silly. And, look, for me, I think he's ultimately making the correct move. If, if they, I, I, I think, I, if he's saying he's not going to drive for McLaren, they will end up settling that dispute one way or another, probably financially outside for, of for gritted teeth. Because as we talked about in the first mm. part of this, like Zach Brown and Chip Ganassi do not like each other, and that was known before Chip released that pipe bomb on on Saturday morning. Right, and and, and I'd say Polo better be satisfied with Ganassi because yes, I know time heals all wounds. But the other team owners are not going to forget this. And it seems like he's going to be spending a lot of time at Chip Ganassi Racing, whether he wants to or not. He, he's very lucky it's the best team in IndyCar right now. Because <laughs> yeah. if yeah. it was. I was any, about to say, if it was anything less than that, I think he'd be uh, a lot less happy about the situation. Oh, but he's very no. lucky. Oh, no. Alex Pelot has to stay at the best team in IndyCar <laughs> for the long term. What a shame. What a shame. Oh, no. I mean, what, I mean, what a problem to have. <laughs> I mean, I mean, knock wood that they don't completely lose their way from an engineering perspective and they uh, they start circling the drain. Which, which is unlikely, given how well that team is run. They have three title contenders year on, year out, and Marcus Armstrong's walked into that team and been a very solid rookie right off the bat. Um, they'll be fine, is, is the general impression. Like, and I ultimately think, I agree with King, I think Polo is ultimately making the right call by staying with Chip. It's a winning team, it's a winning package, um, and it's the, you know, it's it's... The, the best team in IndyCar right now and it's looking very much like Pelot's going to win two titles there in three years and he's had golden chances to win the 500 every year since he's joined them as well like he, he could have had two or three in an alternate timeline by now already so I don't think Pelot's got too much to worry about there I know his personally his number 10 crew loves him and have batted for him immensely despite all of this. Yeah. But my God, Alex, know what you're getting into. For God's sake, people actually like you. <laughs> like, Jesus. Uh, like, you know how hard that is in motorsport sometimes? Yeah. A sport that's full of dicks? God, <laughs> he's done well. Anyway, speaking of the Alex Polo, um, the Alex Polo team, Chip Ganassi, did you hear that another one of their cars won this Gallagher Grand Prix this past weekend? Apparently that was news too. Oh, um, in the I actual... In the actual Gallagher Grand Prix itself, Scott Nixon would roll back the years with a classic fuel-safe strategic two-stopper comeback 
to win from a spin and starting from 15th on the grid. He pulled the pants down of Graham Rahal, who had 30, who led 36 laps early on and looked set to lead an RLL 1-2 finish until the final stages of the race. Scott Dixon still has it, right? Yeah, I mean, besides what happened heading it, like, it's a shame what happened heading into the weekend happened because this, this is probably, I would, I wouldn't, hopefully not the last big weekend of Scott Dixon's career, but this is one of those moments that is going to be on highlight reels for IndyCar for the rest of the time that in his, you know, record-breaking consecutive start he extends his streak of wins in a seat well wins you know in consecutive seasons a, a winning season yeah like it's his 19th consecutive season with a win his 21st overall um the one that leapt off the page to me besides again as king mentioned his 319th consecutive start beating tony canaan's all-time record um again a man that was nicknamed the iron man of indycar for that very reason it was also his 200th top five finish if you include his cart and champ car days He's had 382 starts. He's finished in the top five in 200 of them. That's a 52% rate. That is unheard of. That's unfathomable. (laughs) I knew knew this race was going to be crazy, right? Because Scott Dixon said he had a monster of a start, but nobody was paying attention to that because, oh my God, what is Devlin DeFrancesco doing around the outside of turn one? Whatever we... And even King begrudgingly has to admit that might be the best highlight IndyCar's had all year. Devlin oh <laughs> DeFrancesco passing four dudes around the outside of turn one and leading the race from fifth on the... It was already wild. He was qualified. He qualified fifth, made the far six for the first time in his career, and then goes from fifth place to the lead before that early lap one caution where all hell broke loose at turn seven a four wide into turn seven which is never a good idea um you know it's never a good sign when like devlin de francesco's pr is in my mentions hollering for the man to get a job next year (laughs) (laughs) true story um there are strong rumors that say he's going to dale coin next year with david malukas going the other way and essentially a swap deal um yeah so uh, get your money devlin fair enough um you know get your money no that's not how this is give your money (laughs) give your money to another team devlin um as as you do so good for him in that one but i mean that was a messy turn turn like turn seven isn't on the opening lap i think Uh it's grosjean accidentally checked up and spun dixon out yeah we had right at this right at the split second where Pelot and armstrong are kind of coming together they make contact below drives away fine armstrong spins out grosjean after spinning ditson stacks up an armstrong and then oh that's the astor cup decided joseph newgarden has mounted the top of martin Ar- marcus armstrong's car <sighs> yeah and, and newgarden was already having a horrible weekend he had already qualified 19th and then had to take a sixth place um, grid penalty because because his engine didn't complete a full cycle. Um, so he was starting at the back anyway, and then he gets collected lap one, loses two laps trying to you know free his car via the nose cone. Um, yeah, 
dead weekend. Pelot's lead is back up to 101 points. It's effectively over. Um, a couple, if he, if he finishes... It's, oh, it's 101 points over Scott Ditson now because with this win, Ditson left Newgarden in the standings. Yeah, Scott Dixon, very quietly, second in the championship again. Oh, man. <laughs> just, just, just because it's Scott Dixon, that's why. So you see, if he finishes... Um, if he finishes in front of Dixon and Newgarden at Gateway, which, let's be honest, probably isn't happening because Joseph Newgarden is a freak at short ovals in Penske. But in case by some miracle he does, Polo leaves Gateway as champion two rounds early, which would be just fucking ridiculous. We, we have never had a championship clinched early since the unification of 2008. The last person that did it on either side of the split was a certain Frenchman who was regarded as the worst driver to ever win four consecutive champ car titles. <laughs> Not yeah, said how, how, many, day. how many have won four in a row, though? Uh, about <laughs> that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit like how Barry Bonds is the worst player to ever hit 762 major league home runs. Yeah, it, it, it counts, but it doesn't, <laughs> depending on who you ask. I mean, yeah, it's... I love that Zoe says, okay, Paul Tracy. Um, but, <laughs> but, yeah, it's... It, it, like, Polo was scruffy all weekend long. He he got into two multi-car tangles, got away with it and finished in seventh. It was his second worst finish of the year. I can't stand this man. He's ridiculous. <laughs> Make it stop. Um, but... You know what's funny? We were watching this race on our Discord server. I think yeah. all three of us are in there as it was yeah. happening. It was about one or two laps before the commentators had clocked that the leaders were coming in for their third and final round of stops. Dixon was still going. He now cycled to the front of the field. That's what Scott Dixon does, man. He sweats fuel. The only thing I was worried about <laughs> at the end was would the tires last on that final stint? And he admitted like uh, when he was trying to push to get the car up to speed on his outlaps, he burned off a lot of his tires. Like he had a bobble late in the end that almost gave Graham Rahal the chance to pass him back. Yeah. It's it's like we've like it's like we've just realized the leaders are coming in for their final round of stops. Dixon's still going. And about that point, we all just sat around and realized, oh fuck, Dixon's Dixon's in Dixon's in the net lead here. He's Holy back on sh- sequence, baby. He's back on sequence. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then look. We, we we will talk. We'll transition into this a little bit now because we've got to talk a little bit about Graham Rail here. And I, a part of me genuinely feels bad for Graham because he was the dominant car all weekend. Like had a brilliant pole position. And do not get us twisted. Christian Lingard is a stud. We we love him on, on this, this could show. Have been an, this could have been a Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan one two finish. And Christian Lingard, Lingard was, got yeah. boned yeah. on his second to last pit stop. Lingard got boned again. Like, Lingard must be thinking, what have I got to do to win at Indianapolis? Like, <laughs> like this time last year, gets he was the rightful deserving winner of that race because Rossi's car was illegal, and I can't stand how North America doesn't throw people out for the technical DQs. Debate with your mum about that one. Like, Lingard, for me, was the rightful winner of that race. Like, he was beaten by Polo on a god-tier strategy the first race we had here this year in May. And now, this time round, he was gunning down Rahal before that final stop. He was within a second of him and then gets screwed on an 11-second pit stop. The fuel nozzle failed. Oh, dear. 
<laughs> Luke Gott must be thinking, what have I got to do to win at Indianapolis? Like, honestly. But Graham had the dominant car all weekend. His first pole since Detroit 2017 when he qualified on pole by less than a tenth ahead of his own teammate, led 36 laps, was comfortably the fastest man on the free stopper all day. Beside, like Lungard was the only man really who could challenge him in his own his, his teammate's own car. And then when when we all work, worked out Dixon was back on sequence, he chewed into Dixon's seven-second gap like it wasn't even there. It was just that final second. I said it on the call. I was like, it's going to be that final second. Can he get over the dirty air of Dixon and find a way around? And he came so close. <laughs> two laps to go, he was a point two away, and Dixon had enough fuel saved where he could still use the button on top of his low fuel and was able to hold him off. And that's what got Dixon the win well, right at the end of the race. But it's it's I was the original question I had here was that is RNR back on the up? But we've now had to kind of divert that a little bit because it was breaking news that's come out today as we've recorded this. Jack Harvey will not take part in the rest of this season. He is gone. He's been let go of immediate effect in the uh, number 30 car. And uh, it will be our favorite super sub, Connor Daly, <laughs> filling in at least for this weekend, or next weekend at Gateway um, in that car because uh, Connor Daly, like, he's determined to complete the bingo card of teams he's driven for in IndyCar. Now he can take all right off the list. Di- this is his ninth different team that he's driven for. Um, <laughs> ninth! <laughs> I- I've got a question to ask about the Harvey transaction, but I first want to go to uh, to Ray Hall. Like, yeah, this was this was solid. This reminds me of what Graham Ray Hall was 2015 to 2017. I cannot believe that in the in the moment when he finally got back around Devlin D. Francesco, that none of us on IndyCar Twitter and the M101 circles did not bust out the classic line from that Sunoco commercial, Graham Ray Hall grabs the lead. <laughs> I feel like we all missed a step on that one, didn't we? Yeah, we did. <laughs> he's been so good, like he's been so good after Indianapolis 500. I know they were milking that footage of him getting bumped from the field at the 500. It's, I'll give him this. I've said it on this show before. He took that with exceptionally good grace. And yeah. like, even I, Dre Hart of Stone Harrison was like, God, he looks like a beaten man. He looks like a crushed man emotionally when he, he had to rely on his kids and his, his wife, Courtney, to pick him up after that one. And look, Graham Rahal is not an easy man to like at times. Yeah. <laughs> I've said it before. <laughs> he he can make... I think he means well, but I think he makes very clumsy statements when a mic is shoved in his face. Yeah, um, I and, think that's fair to say. And it doesn't make him the most endearing when he's made very sus comments about people like Romain Grosjean, like whenever things don't go his way in IndyCar, he's always seems to be very quick to blame someone else. And, and he's his sports biggest cheerleader, but sometimes he does more harm than good in that. I right. think it's fair and, to say. And I, and I understand because IndyCar's got a lot of culture where, you know, you know, I've joked about hashtag, please like my dumb sports on many occasions. And Graham is, is the perpetual cheerleader of that. And the mascot of the, of the phrase, but he's like he. I think the big move was that he fired his crew chief after Detroit, and I think since then he's come off a lot more humble. He was. Like, he even talked about that firing during his post race interview. Where he said, "Look, 
you know i don't dislike any of the people we let go and we've moved on from it was just we felt like we had to make a change which is something that's you know i've never seen graham take that a degree of accountability and uh, for what he's done behind the wheel and you know i'd like to think that bump in has humbled him a little bit yeah. and i don't blame him for it's, feeling that way because too. because yeah like look Say what you would about Graham. He's a quality fucking driver, and he has been for a long time. And like I, I mentioned it before, 2017, he was arguably the best Honda in this series. Like a couple of years prior, Graham Rahal was a genuine title contender, an elite level driver in this series. A guy that we had joked we went went years without winning into suddenly being a guy that could take his own team name to a title. He was he very nearly won the 500 a couple of years ago as well. He was on the winning strategy when the when that when this tire fell off after the pit stop. I'm like, Graham is still very good when he wants to be. And I'm glad he's had a couple of weekends because I think he was very good in mid-Ohio as well, but he was let down by two slow pit stops. Um Graham is finding something again. And that's kind of cool to see. Like he's one of the guys that the series is probably in a better spot if a Ray Hall does well. Yeah, I think I think the series is generally in a better spot when any of their second generation talents are doing well. But Ray Hall, especially, I mean, we forget he's still only thirty four years old. This he is debuted. He debuted days after his eighteenth birthday on this the streets is, yeah. of Las Vegas in two thousand seven. I was say this is this is year fifteen for Graham in this series. <laughs> 15 and he's only 34 like it's 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 you forget he's been around donkey's years like he's like he's now old enough to where you, you might race with a second generation guy year to year like lebron with Bronny potentially he's getting to that point already thank god his kids are a lot younger um because <laughs> uh because uh like that would be a terrifying thought but we, yeah i mean on one end to the other as well. We've got to talk a little bit about Jack Harvey. And- I don't understand how a move that we all thought when it was announced, two moves announced, that we thought Jack Harvey had done all that he could at Meyer Shank Racing and was ready to move on to a more established team. Consequently, Meyer Shank Racing had just won the Indy 500 with Elio Castroneves, is coming back full time. They feel like they could take on a more established driver like Simon Paginot. And before the injury at Mid-Ohio, None of this has worked. It, it's alarming that everybody got worse off the back. And you, you said it, RJ, and you're. I think you're absolutely right. Everybody got worse off the back of that deal. How? Like, <laughs> I thought this was a great move for all parties. Jack Harvey was a stud at MSR. I think he he was a, a guy that was challenging for wins on occasion for Mayor Shank. He wins and podiums. I mean, it was gonna come. Yeah, he was knocking on the door numerous times at MSR when he was there, and I thought this guy is good enough for at least an upper midfield seat. He got that seat with RLL, who was still, you know, in the top six or seven championship wise. You know, they had a car that could penetrate that top end on a good day. Takuma did it, Graham did it. Was still more capable. Okay, that's a great landing spot for him. And then they're, Luke- they're they're trying out this forty five car, and it's like it's fast almost every weekend that it enters. It looks like they are ready to go to three cars. 
yeah, at the time I was like, yeah, this makes sense. And you, you got a studding Christian Lungard on top of that as well, a guy that could have easily been an F1 in an alternative timeline. And then you bring in Simon Pagano, a former champion, a former 500 winner for Manchester. That's a huge coup for a team of their size. 500 death lineup. Yeah, and it's all gone to shit. <laughs> all of it. Like, Christian Lungard's the only bright spot out of all of this, and he had nothing to do with the deal in the first place. He needed someone to fill that third car, and they got Lungard, and he's been brilliant for him, but God. <laughs> what happened, Jack? What happened? I'd love to, Jack, we'd love to have you on board to talk about what's what the next plans are. I hope this is not the end for him because, like, he's good enough to stick around. He's proven it. He's more than good enough to be here, and but he needs to be in the right car. And RLLs was clearly not that post expansion. Zoe makes a point in our chat. She feels that both teams expanded too quickly. Do you think there's something to that? I feel like with it's easy to look back at that with hindsight and the Ray Ray Hall Lennon Lanigan case because again, in 2021. Ray Hall and Sato were very, very good. Sato maybe not at his best, but Ray Hall was still consistently good, and the 45 car was quick. It either in qualifying or the race or both. It genuinely looked at the time like they were ready to take on three full-time cars, and Meyershank Racing just won the Indianapolis 500 and surely has the resources to run two effective full-time cars. And oh, by the way, Meyershank Racing has also been in the news because it's now official. Elio Castroneves is stepping away from full-time driving to be the part-time driver and, and partial owner of the team. Tom Blomquist is going to take his spot. And if you were worried about how Daytona Deflategate was going to impact their Honda situation, at least in IndyCar, they're staying with Honda engines. And uh, look... Ugh. On a personal level, I'm gutted for Jack. He, uh, I mentioned it on Twitter earlier today, and I'll say it again here. He was one of the few IndyCar guys that gave us the time of day when we were starting to cover this series, and he's a, a king interviewed him. Again, he's a he's, he's one of us. He's a proper nerd. We love him on, on, on this show, and I think I speak for everybody else. I mean, we, we, we wish Jack all the best. Um, he's, a, he's a great guy and, um, you know, a proper, a proper racer, and uh, I really hope it's not the end for him and if, if it is, I hope he lands on his feet in some someplace else because he's a very talented driver in the right setup, and he, he proved that when he was with Mayor Shank, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but look, looking to the future, it's hard not to get excited about Tom Blomquist in an IndyCar. Like, that is a stud. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like he, He's a very, very talented sports car driver. We know that. I'm glad he's getting the single-seater rub that he's long deserved People for a while that in 2014 there was there was one person that finished between esteban ocon and Max verstappen in the yeah. european f3 standings that was tom blomquist another second generation driver the son of a world rally champion yeah we forget about that and you know we, we don't talk about his time at the, the neo team in, in formula yeah. either yeah no i'm gonna speak of that one yeah like but, it's it's an endorsement of like even after deflate gate at daytona people are still like oh yeah blumquist still the real deal oh god yeah <laughs> look i watched that race and you know me i'm not, I'm not the biggest sports guy i was like tom blumquist is a monster what is this dude um, that, that just, ain't all trick tire pressures my man no no like the, <laughs> the man is a damn good racing it, it driver hel- it sure helped but it wasn't all that and and look 
if and I, I hope it's not you know I hope it's not them pushing Simon Pagano out of the door for mm. whatever reason, whether it be medical or something else. If it is him and Linus Lundqvist next year, that's a very, very solid team because Linus mm. is every bit as good as advertised. Like top yeah. twelve finish again in in Indianapolis. Um, apparently, the team were delighted with that, and they should be because it's the it's, it's the brightest spot they've had all year. And, it's and been awful, yeah, it's it's been an awful year, but there is definitely a bright future on their horizon. And look, as we said it last week, we'll say it again. Linus Lundqvist's talent was never the problem. Man, man is a stud, and then again, hope he gets a seat somewhere. Absolutely. Hopefully, it's not Simon Pagano's expense, but we'll have to wait and see. Whew, deep breath. Um, yeah, that was yeah. a lot. Can I also just say before we go, like Scott hmm. Ditson racking up 319 starts, considering the era that which he raced in, hmm. uh, in the mid 2000s is nothing less of a remarkable retrievement. The only thing that kept him from starting every race that he has entered and taking this straight to over 380 was the fact that in Milwaukee in 2004, he banged up his ankle and his knee and was asked and was told not to start that race. He has started every race since for 20 years almost? Yep. That, in an that, era where serious injuries and competitor fatalities were alarmingly high in that era of the IndyCar series. It's a little bit of luck. It's a little bit of skill. Scott Nitson is the man. To close out, I will happily say this. You cannot have a conversation about who the greatest of all time in motorsport is without mentioning Scott Dixon's name in the conversation which is already a ringing endorsement of how fucking good he is. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's like, again, 200 top five finishes in IndyCar and Champ Car combined is outrageous. Like, his average finish in his career in IndyCar in a spec series over 21 years is seven. What? <laughs> <laughs> You don't have to like it. You don't. You don't have to think that it's exciting. You you may think that it's boring and uneventful, but man's doing the job. He's the goat. He is IndyCar's goat. I, I I don't care what you tell me. That man is is a legend. Um, and shout out to the story I saw on Marshall Pruitt's YouTube channel when he brought. Dicks and a bunch of craft beers to celebrate, and he had a condom in the basket. Marshall <laughs> <Yeah>. Pruitt. <laughs> Marshall Pruitt is that motherfucker. Um, and I love that Dixon's response was, haven't had to use one of those in a while. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. <laughs> what a guy. What a guy. We'll be back next week for MotoGP's uh, Austrian Grand Prix weekend. Apparently, there could be some KTM Silly Season news about to drop that weekend as well. <clears throat> Where will Pedro Acosta end up? Any guesses? <laughs> Send him in at home. But uh, yeah, MotoGP's Austrian Grand Prix this weekend. We'll have a full review of that. And we'll do a little F1 mid-season review as well. We're weighing up how the F1 season's played out so far, going into part two, starting up next weekend when F1 returns to... Oh, goody, it's Zanvoort. <laughs> Will Verstappen make history with his ninth consecutive win, tying the great Sebastian Vettel's all-time record? 
we will have to wait and see until then you basically can find us one more time motorsport101.com for our website and some bonus thoughts from me on Alex Polo on there as well at Dre underscore WTF1 at RJ O'Connell at Ryan Eric King over at Jalopnik if you want to read more from him on cars motorsport and occasionally yachts and boats King keep pushing for more boat posts (laughs) (laughs) do what needs to be done the world needs to see more of Ben Ainsley taking L's quite frankly um more of that thanks for joining us big man pleasure as always until next time i've been dre harrison they've been rj o'connell and ryan eric king and until next time thank you very much for listening sayonara adios y'all bye